Kings Lynn to meet the artist and writer Karen Eng. Hello Karen. Hello Robert. And welcome to my podcast. Welcome to Kings Lynn. Well it's lovely to be here. We've been having a wander around haven't we beforehand and you've been showing me the delights of Kings Lynn and it's a great place. Fantastic. I've hardly ever been here before. Yep. So I've come to Kings Lynn to find out all about your own art and art practice, but also because you've been heavily involved in a project across Kings Lynn um, to project artwork onto buildings and to create this immersive atmosphere. Would you like to tell me just a little bit about that? Yes, it's called the Intergalactic Hanseatic League, and it is a science fiction time travel visitors from the future narrative that we are imposing on the entire town of Kingsland, whether they like it or not. Um, the, its theme is climate change, but we're trying to tell the story playfully and try to get people engaged in the subject um, without them really realizing that they are. So it's, part, it's a multimedia experience. You've got projections going up around the town on buildings and I've seen a trailer for it in the cinema and you're taking over the newspaper as well as part of the project. And so it's an attempt, is it, to engage the, the people of Kings Lynn with the project on many different levels? That's what we're hoping. Um, people in the past have come and made beautiful projections for those buildings. And while it's great to have beautiful, sparkly things in town, what we really wanted to, was to tell a deeper story. So on the level of coming into town and taking in the beautiful lights, anybody can come and do that and hopefully everybody will enjoy that. But for anybody who wants a deeper story, they can look more closely and then they'll get something that's more substantive. So it's an attempt to combine the aesthetics and the pleasurable and the, and the projections and the wow factor, but also with that serious message and to try and get people engaged with the, the ideas behind it. Yes, it just seems like right now climate change isn't a theme that any artist can totally ignore. So I'm intrigued by the whole idea of coming to town with an art project and offering it to the good people of King's Lynn. How has it gone down and how have you managed to engage with um, the, the residents and, and make it a community project? How have you gone about that? We went to lots of schools. We went to the College of West Anglia, and the, which has a media department as well as a um, games development department. And we approached various elementary schools and we put together an activity book for them and a call out from one of the crew members of the story. This is a live action film, as you saw in the cinema. So the navigator of the story asked the children, please will you tell us what happened in 2021 that was the historical mind shift that made Kings Lynn the heroes of history. We gave this activity book and a bunch of resources about climate change to the teachers who then taught it as a module at school. When the children filled out the activity book, they generated artworks that we then incorporated into the public artworks that you're seeing in town today. And how did that go down with the, with the children? Did they enjoy being a part of the project and seeing their artwork around town? So the crazy thing is um, I wasn't expecting the response that we got, but I went in later to film the documentary. I was interviewing the children and this affected them profoundly. 
They watched David Attenborough. They learned about the history of Lynn and where we're situated on the ooze. So we talked about, they talked about environment and how navigating the environment, where we are in the world, how it affects our lives. And so with climate change, how is that going to affect our lives in future? They took this on board really passionately, actually. And I was a little bit worried that we were going to scare them because actually this is quite a scary situation that we're in. But it turned out that the framework of the story, visitors from the future um, saying, actually, what you did during this time did end up saving the world from climate change, gave them a framework for envisioning what would be possible. And it put the reins in their hands. We just said yes to their imaginations and they ran with it. So you saw in the artworks today in the wall, they came up with all kinds of amazing scenarios and they took it very, very seriously. Not just to have their artwork in town, but the fact that they're making a difference. I mean, it's almost sort of a cliche to say, but having experienced their response to this artwork, I feel like that's the, that's the highest value that we've gotten from the project. If nothing else, the way, the way we've profoundly affected these children, this is going to stay with them forever, and it's really going to make a difference in the future, to their future, and it'll make a difference to King's Lynn's future, I'm sure. Well, that's fantastic. And I'm interested in the wider situating of, of art and what art can be. And there's a definite sense from what you're saying that there's an educational element to it and, and a political element in terms of it being a catalyst for change or a catalyst for action or a catalyst for um, engaging with people to, 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 to inform behaviours. And would you say that's the, the aim or that's how it's playing out for this project? We wanted people to be able to imagine what's possible. We started out knowing that we definitely didn't want to do something where we said, you know, you have to recycle or you have to stop driving cars or you have to stop eating meat. We didn't want to be didactic like that. We wanted people to imagine what's the best case scenario you can think for the future. I'm intrigued that, that you resisted a didactic element and, and the way that you chose to go about it was to make it open-ended so that the people who are participating or responding to the project respond in their ways rather than being told or fed, as it were, a kind of correct answer as to, exactly. to what to do. Exactly, yes. Well, I, and I think that's a really great way of squaring the circle because I kind of personally think that art should resist being didactic or, or just utilitarian or taking the place of, of other educational means. But if it provides a catalyst from which people can make their own thought processes and, and, and develop themselves, then that's absolutely what art should be about, isn't it? Is, is providing a, a, a place in which these kind of conversations and these, uh, these thought processes can flourish. So that sounds great. So your role as co-writer has enabled you to imagine this whole multimedia um, world in which uh, the people of King's Lynn are, are um, contacted by people from the future and you've got them actually directly beaming into the cinema, the majestic cinema and explaining their mission to you. And I'm holding the local paper here and I can see that on the front page 
We are the Intergalactic Hanseatic League. They have taken over your local paper um, with a kind of a guerrilla insert to, to remind you of, of their mission and your part in it and how you can be uh, a part of saving the world. So it's really um, all guns blazing on different levels to try and get people to engage with the project. And later on, we're gonna go outside and see them telling their message on the uh, projections on the buildings outside. Yep. Fantastic. So I'm really looking forward to that. And whilst we wait for it to get dark, dark enough for the, uh, the people of the Han Intergalactic Hanseatic League to contact us, maybe we could just talk a little bit about your own practice as an artist, because what intrigues me also in all of this is that not only have you been involved with um, cutting edge technologies and experimenting with new technologies. You've been telling me about VR and crypto art and, and projection work, but you've also got this flip side of being very interested in letterpress and, and analog and old school methods of writing and communication. And there seems to be quite a, an interesting tension there between those two elements. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I guess I'm a little bit restless and I'm always curious about different art making technologies. I mean, not just fancy things like VR, but I'm fascinated by even things like um, paints and charcoal and just art supplies. I mean, you could call it kind of like an extended art supply addiction. I just want to play with the thing. I wanted to learn how pastels work and I want to find out about paper and why you use different kinds of paper. And then that ended up extending to you know, how do you set type into a line in order to create a page? And I ended up learning how to do that. Photography, always fascinating. How does that work? And I just get curious about things. I play with them. I end up creating something because I've been playing with this thing and that ends up being my art. So that's my practice, pretty much. So are you like a bit of an early adopter, as it were, in terms of wanting to be a, a, a connected to the, you know, the late, the, ne the next thing? Well, you could say that, except that I'm also fascinated by film photography and letterpress printing, <laughs> you know, so in, in that sense, I'm a very late adopter. I don't know. I'm interested in all of it. If I don't know about it, then I'm interested in it. And I just want to just consume everything, which is kind of great because I'm never bored, but it's kind of terrible because I also feel like I never really get good at anything. And how have you found it? Because it seems to me, uh, uh, in terms of um, the latest technology, as it were, because it seems to me such a huge and burgeoning and almost exploding subject area with so many technologies coming on stream with, with VR and, and, and uh, plugins and apps and, and ways of manipulating data. How have you found that and, and trying to assimilate it and, and make something from it? It's been incredibly overwhelming. Um, and I drove myself into a frenzy of trying to learn too much, too fast, being really excited, then suddenly being unable to cope. The first COVID lockdown was an opportunity for me to sit down and try to learn some of the things that I decided I wanted to try. So um, I got myself a VR headset and like, right, I'm going to actually finally dedicate myself to tilt brush and learn how to do that. But during that time, Google let go of its support of tilt brush and then it went into this whole other world of people picking it up in open source creating different versions of it people learning to make their own brushes so there was that to learn then importing 3d files into other 3d manipulation programs 
embedding those in VR worlds and uh, displaying them there, it all of a sudden mushroomed from wanting to do a little painting in VR into this whole, a whole universe and a whole, whole university. I mean, I could, I could have from that point just dedicated my life to learning VR and all of these technologies and being um, in contact with the communities who do this stuff. And there are amazing people out there, incredibly talented, amazing people. But I suddenly felt really discouraged because I thought, how am I ever going to be able to integrate all of this while I'm in the middle of COVID and also trying to do all these other things, including this collusion project? It does seem as though it's an enormous can of worms to be opening and almost overwhelming the amount of uh, uh, and getting up to speed i mean with all new um learning you know there's that that kind of use it or lose it element and getting a facility with it but it seems that potentially with vr and with augmented reality and all these different uh, possibilities there's more than most and um so what's your take home from it would you encourage others into it or is it something that's still developing or is it for early adopters Oh, Who's it for? God, or... I mean... What, why, why do it? Because it's fun. It's really fun to be able to be inside an environment and sculpt with light. It's really difficult to decide where to focus your time. But I do it because it's, it's fun. I like investigating what can be done with each technology. And how how does the the modern technology uh, compare to more traditional approaches in terms of the kind of creative process or the outcomes or the how it sati- how it satisfies you as an artist or indeed the visitor as somebody responding to it? It frees you up to experiment more because it doesn't feel so permanent. What you're left with doesn't feel as permanent and cumbersome and burdensome. It's just some pixels you can toss it. Mm. A printing press is a huge commitment. And, you know, a bunch of lead type is a huge commitment. It takes space. Paper, uh, solvent, ink, all these things are not just not cheap, but, yeah, they take up a lot of space. And then once you've created the thing, you have to have some place to store it or you have to find a way to sell it. And that opens up another whole can of worms. Whereas with digital art, you can make it, and if as long as you've got hard drive space, you can store it forever. You can immediately post it on Instagram, so you've got that immediate uh, gratification of audience contact. And it's novel, you know, so you can make crazy, fantastic things with these tools because very few people have had access to them before, and so there's a sense of freedom. There's not this whole tradition behind it aesthetically of what it's supposed to be or what it's supposed to look like. You can do whatever you want, and the sky's the limit. So it's very much at the open, exploratory, kind of almost Wild West stage of, of new technology, new horizons, new possibilities that, are, that, don't, that aren't grounded in a tradition in, in the ways that many analogue uh, disciplines probably are. And have you um, dabbled in the world of NFTs? And um... Yes, so one thing led to another and in early 2020 i found myself getting on uh, one of the crypto art platforms and just learning about that i did this because a friend of mine is a researcher in art and currencies alternative currencies and so it was a point of interest for her she was able to explain it to me from that point of view it was kind of like the beginning of the internet where people who had access to websites or or um telnet or bulletin boards were all exploring those frontiers 
when the rest of the world hadn't caught up yet and it took some time for the rest of the world to catch up. It's kind of like that. So have you made your fortune then as a result? <laughs> I haven't. I haven't aggressively pursued that. If um, I know that you can pursue that more aggressively and make more money than I do, but it's possible. And is it a bubble or is it here to stay, do you think? I think it's here to stay. I think the um, the hype around it will die down at some point. The value of the currencies themselves, I can't speak to because I'm not in a, I'm not experienced in that at all. But as a tool for art making and a tool for art selling, I think it's definitely here to stay. And it has a lot of other applications as well. The blockchain technology is really interesting in itself for uh, what it can do besides just putting your art up and selling it. You can use it to make certain kinds of art that you couldn't before. But I can't explain that in the course of this interview, I don't think. No, no. Well, I mean, that, that in a way, that kind of gets to the heart of the problem because on the one hand, it's yet another example of the train is leaving the station. I mean, you feel that if you're not kind of on board or kind of up to speed or at least dipping your toe in the water of, of these new and emerging technologies, you're going to maybe get left behind a little bit. And so it feels quite... So things are moving quite quickly. A colleague of mine recently said that it moves faster than the human mind can comprehend. And that is true. And so if you try, your head will explode. It's a huge amount of information to process and it changes really fast. So if you close your eyes for one week, by the time you come back, everything, the whole landscape will have changed. That's a really good way of putting it. It Moving fast and the mind can keep up with it. And I, I, I really can feel that, that that immediately connects with my anxiety of of not being able to keep up. So what would you say as somebody who is involved in it and also feeling the heat of, you know, that kind of anxiety of keeping up, what would be a healthy engagement with these types of technologies that keeps you grounded but not uh, completely uh, out of the loop? So... The best thing I've found is to find your communities of people that you trust and feel safe with. Since NFTs have become so mainstream in the news, and there's been so much hype, the scammers are out in force. And you it's really, really important right now to find people who you relate to, who have similar values to you, and who you can trust. And those, pe- those communities tend to hang out, um, well, Twitter in the first instance is the most obvious place to find people and then communities tend to form and talk to each other in discord um, and sometimes in telegram which is another messaging service so ask lots of questions of strangers don't give anything away and get yourself in trouble find someone you trust and find communities and just ask lots of questions people teach each other yeah i mean i found safe haven with um, a collective of crypto artists or artists working in that space and we're called the 105 collective And so because we were all working in this space, uh, we decided to create an art piece in response to the culture in quarantine. We ended up not getting the grant, but we ended up making the piece anyway, and it's installed in a VR gallery. Uh, And we're really proud of it. That group of people has been a real emotional safe haven for me. You know, I feel like if I'm having any stress or problems, I can go there and just chat with that small group um, and just, you know take comfort in the fact that there's a safe space in this wider community. It's fascinating because on the one hand, it seems as though there's a tension between 
the complete unregulated open-ended nature of it which is so inspiring because you're not bound by any rules or any preconceptions as to how it should be and yet no sooner does such an environment arise then you've got to be on your guard for those very same reasons and that kind of maturity that comes to an environment that creates the safety nets also constricts it in some ways. It's very thought-provoking in terms of how it has really brought up uh, conversations about what do we value and why you know why why is art valuable why are we willing to pay for it what do we expect in return when we give someone quote unquote money for art and what is money right so that's all of these conversations are absolutely fascinating to me and that's the reason why i'm staying because i'm really interested in seeing how this plays out it, the conversations are really important it's not just another sort of Etsy for digital art. It's a whole paradigm shift that we're just starting to see the beginnings of. It also means that we have a lot of possibility for building things that we couldn't have built before, just at, like at the beginning of the internet. But as we're doing that, that also means that we can bring, we can, as with the Collusion Project, we can think of the utopian version of what we would like and find like-minded people and put it together and do it. And that's incredibly exciting. But it also means that everybody else is thinking the same thing and all the bad things of humanity that we want to leave behind are also threatening to come in as well. And that's another huge tension. That's life, isn't it? That's, that's the whole, that's, that's human nature, I suppose. And there's no getting away from it. Well, that is all absolutely fascinating and maybe that is a great place to pause and uh, have a cup of tea or uh, something stronger before we head out and see some of the projections later on. Okay. Sounds good. Right, so we are back after a fantastic meal of salmon, beans, gnocchi. And wine. And wine, glass of wine, well, bottle of wine. So we are, we've put the worlds to rights, have we not? We are feeling no pain. We are indeed feeling no pain. And not only that, we are now standing outside in the middle of the Kings Lynn evening air to take a look at the um, marvellous outdoor projections on the buildings of Kings Lynn and we've done a little tour haven't we? Yes we're now at the third building we're at the Custom House where the eye to the future is. And would you like to describe what we can see before us? So we the Custom House is sort of a cubic house and the projections on here are showing 23rd century Lynn um, in real time so someone coming here is like looking into a crystal ball into the future to see the bright new King's Lynn, but because there's an unstable time glitch, it's glitching in and out of climate change problems. So part of it is on fire, part of it is flooded, part of it is icy, and it's uh, sort of snapping in and out of various parallel times. And it's creating this fantastic spectacle before our eyes that is one of the many strands that we've been talking about of this interactive multidisciplinary project around climate change and what people can do about it. And this is a great way of bringing it home to people as they go past of an evening, isn't it? And, and reinforcing some of the uh, ideas that are a part of the project. 
Yes, well, hopefully they'll see it and they'll come stare at it because it's so pretty. But hopefully they'll also wonder what it's about. And for that, they can read the posters that are alongside, um, follow the web links, see the transmissions and have a little think. Well, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, because you're right to call it, did you say, I'm not sorry if you said pretty or beautiful, but there's a there's a um, a desirable quality to it. It's very alluring and it's and, and the first thing you get this visual hit and the scale of it as well, it is transformative in terms of the landscape and in terms of the environment in which we are in. And although you you didn't do this particular um, digital animation uh, projection. You have done some yourself in the past, haven't you, around King's Lynn? Yes. The first projection I ever did was on St. Nicholas's Chapel, which we'll see later, and I did that for uh, another collusion project called Reveal, which was another town scale one. And I've also done projections for the 11th Hour Festival on two of the buildings, St. Nick's and the Minster. So I'm really impressed with the way in which you've embraced modern te new technologies and things like digital projections which okay they're not cutting edge now they've been around for a while but still it's great to think about alternative ways of realizing things and can you just say a little bit about how you found the process of making digital art for a large-scale projection I know that you've been exploring tag tool as a tool for, for uh, developing the work. Yes so when Collusion first asked me to make snowflakes for the reveal projection I was a little bit panicked because I had never actually done animation before and so I found tag tool as one possible solution which I then ended up not using but I having done the snowflake projection coming out in the middle of the night and seeing my own work projected large on some of the most beautiful buildings in town was a really magical experience it was kind of like having my own large-scale lava lamp in town especially great in the dead of winter and so I, you know, just decided to keep exploring it. And Tag Tool is one way of doing that. But of course, to make a projection, I discovered you can make it with using any sort of tool, as long as you can get it into a video format and put it into a projector and then map it onto a building, then it, anything will work. And again, going back to some of our earlier conversations, is there a difference in kind between developing work on Tag Tool or another digital platform as opposed to picking up pen and paper? Yes, well the magical thing about Tag Tool is that it's improvisational. It's an instrument that is really meant to be used live. It's also specifically made for outdoor projection and so its palette is specifically vibrant to work on buildings without a white screen. Um, and it's ephemeral, so it's like finger painting. You, you can draw your strokes, animate them, fade them out, fade them in. It's, it's definitely improvisational and not planned. And in that sense, you can't really draw something out ahead of time and figure it and figure it out. You have to figure it out on the spot. So it sounds very spontaneous and very much of the moment. And did you do some work where you were collaboratively creating digital projections in real time with other artists from around the world? Yes. So during COVID, the tag tool developers figured out how to get artists on the same canvas from remote locations. In the past, that has been possible if all the artists are in the same place and we all share a canvas and paint on a building at the same time and a very magical experience. But during COVID, that wasn't possible, so they went a bit further and we ended up projecting on buildings in Vienna and also in Brazil. And that creates another layer to the whole project in which multiple 
artists are coming together to create something together that then is is projected in in such a large scale that it's it's really another order of magnitude and it's interesting because it's also in the digital realm but it's so far removed from the tiny screen of of a smartphone or or a mac or a laptop or so on the scale is very different and how does the scale do you think affect the impact that it creates for people well so for example when we did the project in sao paulo you could see the traffic driving by and the projection was probably much bigger than the one we're looking at now it was a huge office building um, I'm sure it must have been really beautiful and magical to see and possibly a little bit of a traffic hazard. Um, one thing about it is that when you're working with that many people, not only do you have the element of chance yourself as an artist, but you have to have a huge amount of trust with the people that you're working with sharing that around the world. And that's writ large on an actual building. So I really, we're using digital technology in order to make that happen, but the actual experience of it is very physical, I think. Sounds a bit like a kind of musical jam where you're all kind of improvising together and jointly and the, the, the sum is greater than its parts. Sounds fantastic. And I'm really intrigued as well because you um, embrace ideas of extended artworks in, in open spaces and alternative spaces and alternative technologies. And that seems really exciting to kind of be constantly pushing the boundaries or seeing what can be done and um, do you have any thoughts or ideas as to to what next or or where this type of artwork might go for, for you and and more generally in in the the technologies that are around i would actually like to see more of what we've done with tag tool that using the technology to bring art to people who don't have access to the technology so for example this collusion project brings tech-based art to people in King's Lynn, even if they don't have access to it, they can still experience it. And the same thing is true of Tag Tool and bringing it to people in the streets of Brazil. I'd like to, I'd just like to do more of that. And I especially love the collaborative aspect. It's much more fun and magical to do it with other artists than to try to make something by myself. Fantastic. And it, and it's accessibility as well, because it's available to everybody. And, and in fact, you can't miss it. It's there beaming out larger than life as you go past. So it really is an encounter that otherwise you wouldn't experience. So that's that's wonderful. And you were telling me a little bit about um, uh, a residency that you've got coming up and uh, plans for the future. And uh, would, well, would you like to say a little bit about that? Yes, so I am going to Rouen, France in November to do a several day residency with Ensemble Variance, which is an experimental classical ensemble. And they've just asked me to come and join them with Tag Tool, using it as another instrument to develop a piece with them. And they're very experimental, so it's actually a really good fit. And we'll just see where it goes. And at the end of a few days of working together, we're going to do a little performance in a place called The Shed. Or maybe it's, it's probably since it's France, it's Le Shed. So we'll see what happens. Well, it sounds fantastic. And what we were saying during our little supper time break was how, how I was saying how impressed I've been that you take on a project and sometimes you feel a little bit scared or, or it's a, a little bit scary because you take take on the challenge of a new opportunity and then you have to learn your way into the job. It's not something that necessarily that you've come to ready-made. You have to then 
find a way to realize what you've signed up to. And I think that's a really fantastic way around to be challenging yourself with new projects that take you out of your comfort zone. So that sounds an exciting way to be working. Yes, we were also talking about, you know, that one of my biggest inspirations I re I've realized in, in the last year is, is Disney and the Imagineers because their way of working was to come up with a crazy, fantastic idea that seems totally impossible and then they would assemble the talent required to make that happen and they would work and work and work until they made it happen. And that is how collusion works, actually, and that's, that's generally how I work as well. All these different technological tools that I've learned are not because I want to be the expert in any of them. It's because I find them all interesting and I want them to be part of my toolkit that I can draw on as I am confronted with the next artistic problem. Then I, I can draw on all these various things as solutions. Well, here we are standing in Kings Lynn at night and we can see the fruits of those labours and the fruits of those big visions come into pass. And the idea that took shape two years ago is now writ large, beamed out for all the residents of Kings Lynn. And it's proof of, of exactly what you're saying, that if you think big and then find a way to make it happen, then good things will happen. So that's really wonderful to hear. And maybe that is a fantastic point at which to say thank you so much for sharing with me all your endeavours and the delights of Kings Lynn and the projections that you've been helping to make happen. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing what you get up to next. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming up here. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Something to Do with Art. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback via social media. And check out the podcast notes for links and further information. That's it for this episode. Many thanks to the very wonderful Berwick Livingston for the music, Danielle Blyde for logo design, and to everyone who has taken part and helped me with this project. I hope to catch up with you again soon.